So there's a lot of famous creeds when it comes to the Christian tradition. We just read one of them, right? The Apostles' Creed. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is a summary of what the apostles taught. The apostles didn't write it, but it was a summary that unites all believers, past, present, and future. It's what unites us. It's not what our differences are. It's what unites us. There's the famous Nicene Creed, which um, is so important if you study church history. The Nicene Creed, a guy named Athanasius fought tooth and nail against people who wanted to sideswipe the understanding of the Trinity and the deity of Jesus and the relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And I thank God for that because we wouldn't understand Scripture or Jesus if it wasn't for people like that. So you got the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, Apollo Creed, <laughs> Creed Bratton. Okay, two people got that one. Just making sure you're uh, with me and awake. Today we're going to look at a very famous Jewish creed, and it's one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament for the Jewish people, and it's uh, called the Shema, and that's a Hebrew word for hear or, or listen is what that means. It says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. We're uh, finishing a series today called Longing for Rest, where we've been trekking with Moses and the children of Israel uh, through the wilderness. What should have taken two weeks took them 40 years. And Roger Reed sent me an email this week and he said, uh, it's because they didn't ask for directions. And that's very, very true <laughs> for all of us. But this prayer would have been the first prayer that children would have learned and memorized. When you read on in Deuteronomy 6, they're told to recite it, write it out, put it on the doorpost, man. Keep yourself familiar with this great command, this, this prayer. And so the Jewish people, they, they loved God by living the Torah, they loved God by living the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. Now, I've titled today's message, The Jesus Creed, because many years ago I read a book by Scott McKnight called The Jesus Creed, and if you've never read it, highly recommend it. And it's a, such a powerful book about taking the words of Jesus, because Jesus, he, he added an amendment to this command to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus. So Jesus adds that one little addendum. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so one time Jesus is, these religious leaders are arguing with Jesus about who he was in Scripture like they often did. And it says this in Mark 12, one of the scribes, which would have been a religious leader, came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandment greater than these. Catch that. He didn't say commandments. Because what Jesus did is he took loving God with all we have and loving our neighbor as yourself and made it one command. That they go hand in hand. It's not one over the other. Love God with all you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. This summarizes the 613 commands. In the Hebrew scriptures, somebody counted them at one point in time. There's 613 commands. And Jesus says, here's the summary of all of these. Love God and love your neighbor. The apostle Paul calls this the law of Christ. That if you If you love God and you love your neighbor, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. It's amazing. So the Jews loved God by living out the commandments. They didn't see them as burdensome or any of this. This is how God in his covenant relationship with Israel said, how I want you to live. So they strived to love God by living the Torah. Now us in the New Testament, as Jesus followers, we love God by following Jesus. We love God by doing what Jesus tells us to do, by putting into practice what he tells us to do. God doesn't need us to love him. He wants us to love him. God's a relational God. And he created us to have a relationship with him. Not be religious or any of this, but to to live in a, a loving relationship with our father through his son through the Holy Spirit. So I want to break this Jesus creed down a little bit this morning and talk about it and let it saturate our hearts this morning. Number one, how can I love God with all my heart? How do I love God with all my heart? Your heart, there's two ways of looking at the word heart. You have a heart that's physically beating, I hope, And it's pumping blood through your body and and keeping you alive this morning. But when it says to love God with all our heart, Jesus is talking about the seat of our affections. The control center of our lives is what we call the heart. We're told in, in Proverbs to guard our hearts because from it flow all the issues of life. We're to guard our hearts. We use this word heart in many different ways. We say when someone starts following Jesus, they got a new heart, right? Or we say, you know, that team, they played with heart today. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's, they gave it their all. Waylon Jennings said she's a good-hearted woman in love with a good-timing man, <laughs> right? She's, a, she's got a good heart. That's what he's saying. We say someone has a good heart, a new heart. They played with heart. So how do I love God with all of that part of me? I would say this, value him above all else. You want to love God with all your heart, place the most value of anything in your life on God, in your relationship with him. The story of Israel, we've been reading through the Bible cover to cover and since Easter, many of us, and we've been trekking through the Old Testament And the story of Israel is one of ups and downs, right, to say the least, when it comes to their their relationship with God. God made a covenant with Israel, chose them out of all the nations of the world, and said, listen, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. 
And here's what it looks like to be in covenant with me. Here's how I'm asking you to live. And that those laws and commands really ordered society. We in the West often look at the laws and think, oh, that's just legalism, blah, blah, blah. No, it actually was a way bigger step in the right direction for, for the way people lived back then. God said, don't worship any other gods but me. Don't make idols. Don't bow down to idols. Me and me alone. That's our covenant. In Israel, worship God, worship Baal. Worship the, and they would often just gave themselves in an adulterous way, spiritually speaking, to other gods. So to value God above all else is this. The essence of worship is value. The old English word, worth-ship, that's what's evolved into worship. You ascribe worth and value to something that you worship. The Apostle John, in his letter to the church, he said, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. The more uh, word-for-word translations say, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, we in the West... When we think of idols, you think of, and there are still people that worship idols, little statues, carvings of wood, whatever. And that's definitely what John had in mind when he wrote this, because that kind of idol worship was still, you know, in effect. But here, we don't think of, most people I know don't have idols in their homes that they bow down to or give food to or put their trust in or pray to. But idolatry for us is... Whatever I ultimately find security and identity in becomes my functioning God. In our walks, all of us are moving away from that little by little, where we're not finding our security and identity in people or our jobs or our looks or our popularity. It's learning to say, God, you're it. You are the, of the utmost value to me, and I find my security and identity in you. Louis Giglio, who is a, he's an author and a teacher, in one of his books he said this. He said, the trail never lies. Follow the trail of your time, affection, energy, and money. And at the end, you'll find a throne. What we value sits on the throne of our hearts. It's convicting, and it should be. Because anything other than giving God my my full value, man, we're missing out. We're missing out on the kind of life that God wants for his kids. The chief way to worship and value God is to pursue joy and satisfaction in him. It's the chief way to say, God, I value you. You are my joy. You are the one that satisfies. Thank God every day for the gifts that he's given into your life. You enjoy a good meal? Like 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do to the glory of God. Eating and drinking are ordinary things, so that our ordinary parts of our life can become acts of worship. God, thank you for this good meal. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my family. Thank you that you meet all of my needs. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms is from David. Psalm 37.4 says, take delight in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, what I know that verse doesn't mean is if I delight in the Lord, I'm not going to get the Maserati that I've always wanted or the Lamborghini. That, 
Don't, that would be a bad interpretation of what he means there. He means when you and I pursue joy and satisfaction in Jesus, then the desires of our heart will be his desires. You, you don't have to mistrust your desires in your life if you're delighting in the Lord. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. So we worship God by enjoying him, and we worship God by obeying him, doing what he says to do, putting into practice his commands, because we believe that what he tells us to do is going to be the thing that brings us most joy in our life, that brings out real transformation in our life. Second thing, how can I love God with all my mind? How can I love God with all my mind? Your mind is more than just the gray matter in between your ears. That's your brain. Your mind is your intellect, your, your understanding, the operation of, of thought and, and reason. That's what the mind is. So how do I love God with my mind? Here's what I came up with. Think about God often. Use your mind to think about God constantly. Thinking about God is another form of prayer. It's another form of worship. Thinking and contemplating who God is and what he's done for us. Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think or, or renewing your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I've been on a journey for the last three years, ever since we, we went to Israel. Wait for it. Wait for it. Yeah, I don't know if I've told you we went to Israel, but um, something happened to me. I mean, I've always loved scripture. I've always loved teaching and learning, but something happened to me. And we're going to Israel October of 2023. So we're going to start talking about that a little more. If you've ever wanted to go to Israel, now's the time to go. Save your shekels to be continued. But I've been on this journey to read the Bible better, meaning interpret the Bible better, so that I'll know God better. And I want to, I want to think right about God. We get some bad stuff that comes into teachings about who God is, man, and we might be embarrassed that we believe that about God one day and think, ooh, that's not God. Learning to think right about God, uh, pondering his goodness. Do you know he's good? Do you know that he's for you? Do you know that he loves you infinitely? There's a new song by David Crowder called God Really Loves Us. Go download that. Listen to it 10 times in a row till that sinks into your heart. God loves us. He's for us. What comes into our minds, A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into your mind when you think about God? Can I exhort you that let your first thought about God be Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is what God is like. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen my Father. My Father and I are one. So the Father wants 
his son to reflect to us exactly who he is. So you read through the Gospels, and you, you, you get to see the life of Jesus. That's what God is like. Every attribute of God. God is love. God's love is not an attribute of God. It's the very nature and essence of who God is. Second thing about loving God with our minds is remembering that the mind is the battlefield. The mind is the battlefield. When a, a thought produces a feeling or an emotion, and an emotion or a feeling leads to behavior, we often act on our feelings. So when we're struggling with a habit or an issue or, or whatever, we often try to change the behavior without changing our thought life. And then we let our emotions dominate. So whether good or bad, thoughts determine feelings, feelings determine behavior. So let's renew our minds in the truth about who God is, that you are a loved child of God, and he's transforming you. And that if God disciplines us, it's because he loves us. It's not retribution, it's training, just the way any good parent would. Learning to take captive all the false thoughts that come into our mind about ourselves, about others, and about God. The enemy's always sowing little lies to us. If God really loved you, that wouldn't have happened to you. If you really loved God, you wouldn't do that. I mean, there's little lies that we have to take captive and say, nope, I'm not going to believe that. And learning to walk in Christ-likeness, which really holiness, we talk about holiness. Holiness is becoming like Jesus. It's living like Jesus, learning to, to think, act, and speak the way Jesus does. That's the holiness that we're pursuing. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul says that we have the mind of Christ. We have that. Let's access it. Third thing, how can I love God with all my strength? How can God get my, my very best? How does he get my very best? Well, Jesus amends the Jewish creed and makes it the Jesus creed by saying, I love my neighbor as myself. You love God with all your strength when you love people well, when you serve, when you're kind, when you care for people, when you're, when you're like Jesus says, do unto others as you would do to them. That's powerful. Just, you want to love your neighbor as yourself, do to them as you would have someone do to you. I wrote this down. How would I want to be treated if I was in their shoes? That's how you do unto others. How would I want to be treated? If I blow it and I repent to somebody, I want to be forgiven. And I blow it all the time. I'm always, you know, I'm sorry, you know, that I spoke that way to my kids. I'm sorry that I let anger flare up like that. Will you forgive me? I want to be forgiven. I don't want that to be lorded over me. So when someone hurts me or wrongs me and they come to me in repentance and say, will you forgive me? Yeah, I forgive you. That's what we're doing. We do unto others as we would have them do to us. One of the best ways to express love to, to God is to love people. That's really like the chief way of loving God. We can worship and pray and hoot and holler, but if I'm not a loving person, then that's pretty empty, like, like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm a clanging pots and pans and symbols if I have not love. 
so important that we live in that, that way. Make sure that God and others are not getting your leftovers. Like the people that are important to you are getting your very best. And that you're on alert all the time. God, I want to love well today. I want to love the people in my life well today. God's glorified when we serve others. And we become like Jesus when we serve. The one who said he did not come to be served, but to serve. Serving is, when I'm serving, or you're serving, and you're not going to get any credit for it, any glory, any money, or anything from it, you're acting just like Jesus at that point in time. It's important. Moms with little kids, every time you're changing a poopy diaper or wiping a nose, you're not getting any credit for it, but God knows you're doing it, and you're doing it out of a heart of servant, servanthood. Um, years ago, I was at a conference of some sort, and Coach McCartney, who used to be the CU Buffs football coach, was speaking, and he had a huge men's ministry called Promise Keepers back in the day. And uh, I remember him talking, I, I kind of feel like it was ministry people, but it was all men. And so this is for the men, just for a second here, dads and husbands. Um, he said, men, you can hear his voice, right? Men, <laughs> he'd get you fired up. He, he would get you fired up, be ready to run through a wall because he, he, was, he would get you a very good motivational speaker. But he said, men, when you pull up to your driveway after a hard day's work, you put that car in park. And he said, remind yourself in that moment you're going to your real job as you serve your wife and your kids. That's your real job. Even if you had a hard day, you had a lot on your plate, your real job is serving your wife and your children. And he said that God has put in the heart of a man this God-given restlessness. And we try to satisfy that restlessness with more success, more money, more doing, more whatever. And he said, but God put it there, and the only way that you satisfy that restlessness is when you go home and serve your wife and your children. I thought, wow, it's true. And you might be thinking, well, why just men? Well, I, I think serving does tend to come more natural for women. Don't shoot me, but I, I believe God. That's the way God has has wired women. They just serve more easily. Men, it doesn't come natural to us. We're doers and problem solvers and all these other things. Not that women aren't that. So don't, I don't want to go down that road. You know where I'm at. And it just does, there's a difference between a man and a woman and how God created us. It's, it, it's important to celebrate that and, and to uh, realize that. So men, it's an act of our will to serve our wife and our kids. It's an act, that's a choice that we have to remember every day. We're going to our real job. Lastly, how can I love God with all my soul? <clears throat> Almost choked myself there. Your soul is the eternal part of you. You have a body, but your body is breaking down. Hate to break it to you. <laughs> the older you get, the more you realize that too. It's the eternal part of who you are. And how do I love God with all my soul? At the risk of sounding cheesy, cliche, and trite, live like you're dying. Just like Tim McGraw says, although I don't think he wrote that song, but he sang it. Live like you're dying. 
That's a, that will help you love God with all your soul. The reality is physically, we are all dying. We're all dying. And the older you get, the more you realize that. Not too long ago, I, I blew out my back picking up a towel off the floor. I leaned over to pick up a towel, and, and I was like, oh my gosh. Not the most masculine of, of injuries, right? I'd like to say I tackled a bear or got hit by a car, but I picked up a towel. Like, ow, like I'm getting old, and it, it happens. And then the older you get, the easy, easier you get injured, and the longer it takes to heal. That kind of sucks. But anyway, I digress. Life has an expiration to it. This physical body has an expiration. Your soul does not. Your soul is the eternal part of who you are. I get mad this time of year in August because summer is expiring. And I got to wait till next summer for it to all start over again. And back to, when, I, when our kids were little, I'd get mad at back to school and I'd like, did we even have a summer? And as soon as 4th of July hits, bam. And living in that reality that there's an expiration helps people do, have more fun in the summer often. Go on more vacations. Go do that last-minute camping trip. Go whatever because you know it's, it's going to be back to school or summer's about to be over. Here's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. Death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. It's like the song says, don't blink, because another year goes by. My dad used to always say, I wonder how many summers I have left. That might be what kind of haunts me a little bit, because you know, summer represents vacation from school or whatever, good weather. How many summers do I have left? We're passing through. I like to look at life, and I want to try to help you see it this way. I like to look at life as a short-term mission trip. Many of us at Novation have gone on a short-term mission trip together to the Dominican Republic. We've gone five or six times. When you go on a short-term mission trip, you go with a plan to go love and serve a people, to share the gospel, to grow in your own discipleship to Jesus. But it has a beginning and it has an end. And at the end, you go home. That's our life. As followers of Jesus, we are living in a place that's not heaven. We are strangers in a strange land. We are all missionaries. We are all disciples of Jesus, spreading the good news, loving and serving our neighbor. But there's an expiration to it. There will be a time where we go home. And we go home to our real home. Jesus told Peter and the apostles, he said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He's putting the utmost importance on our souls. Paul says, you know, physical activity, exercises, it's good for you. But man, put more effort into your soul, into the disciplines that make you more like Jesus and how you think, act, and speak. So a couple things. Remind yourself every day that heaven is your real home. Remind yourself every day that heaven is your real home. 
Spend time with God now. Read his word, pray, worship, fellowship with one another. That's spending time with God. Remind ourselves every day of what our hope is not in. Your hope is not in your money, your job, your 401k, or even in people. Because all those things can be taken away. But our hope in eternal life with Jesus, no one can take that away. That's secure. His peace and his joy can't be taken away. How do we respond? How do I respond when life disappoints me is a good indicator of what my hope is really in. And I'm challenging myself and all of us, man, let's anchor our hope to the true anchor, which is Jesus. And let's live and align our lives with him. Let's align our lives with the Jesus creed, to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. When you align yourself with the Jesus creed, you're going to live a full life. You're going to live a joyful life. You're going to live the kind of life that God wants for you. On, uh, on your way out on the little table by the door, um, I created, well, actually Janelle created, and with the help of Walgreens, um, the Jesus creed, scripture, and verses. Here's my challenge. Would you take me up on this? It's got exactly what I read in the Jesus Creed. Love God, love your neighbor. Would you, Monday through Friday this week, put this in your bathroom mirror and recite the Jesus Creed every morning as you brush your teeth and and get ready for whatever is happening in your day. Memorize the Jesus Creed. Maybe take time and write it out. Do just like what Deuteronomy tells us to do. And, and, and let it saturate your heart. Because sometimes that can become cliche. Love God, love your neighbor. Well, what does that look like? Look for ways in your daily life to practice this. To value God above all else. To think about God. To love people with all your strength, all you have. And then live like you're dying. Like, remember. I think the, the, the remembering that my life has an expiration date should cause us to live better in the present and live present in the moment because none of us controls that day. So let's live present in that moment. So take one of these on your way out. Will you stand with me? I always want to take the opportunity for anyone watching online or anyone in this room that if you've never agreed with Jesus that he is your savior and that he is the Lord of all, that's what faith is. When you say, Jesus, I agree with you. You are the savior. You are the Lord. I want to align my life with you. I want to follow you. If you've never done that, just do that in your heart today. I agree with you, Jesus. I trust you. There's not hoops you jump through to become a follower of Jesus or join a club or fill out a card. Those are all fine things, but it's in the heart. He wants the heart. And he's been pursuing our hearts from the day we were born. 
we often drift off and pursue other things other than who he is but he's always been in pursuit of you and following Jesus trusting in Jesus hoping in Jesus is the greatest thing in life it's not easy Jesus never said it would be easy to follow him but he said it's what life is about he came to give us life and life abundantly the thief the enemy comes to kill steal and destroy we see his destructive pattern all around us whether we've experienced or we see it in others life but he's the answer Jesus didn't come to answer all the problems of humanity he came to answer the problem of humanity of, of sin and work backwards until he comes again Heavenly Father thank you for your goodness Lord we trust you today we trust your spirit we trust your son we trust the living word we trust the gospel and Lord we want to be a people who pursue loving you with everything we have and loving people well God thank you for transforming us Lord I, I pray where there's a bit of guilt or shame for our failures Lord lift us up lift our heads to see you face to face and knowing that when we look into your face we don't see someone who's guilting us or condemning us we see someone who loves us and wants what's best for us let us live the full life that you've promised Jesus help us we don't rely upon ourselves we rely upon you In Jesus name amen